I found nothing in my size. So I was quite plus size and felt very excluded from the retail experience, but ended up um, in tears wandering into a Joseph A. Bank, which if you're familiar is a men's suiting store mm-hmm. and picked out a brown polyester suit off the clearance rack. It was a size 46 and I still own it for posterity. And that's wow. what I wore to my internship interviews. Hello. Welcome to Statement Mondays, where we explore how different women harness their identities at work. I'm your host, Natalie Munster, and if you need a reason to be bold today, here it is. Today is Statement Monday. Today we'll be chatting with Lauren Jonas, who is a champion for plus-sized women and founded both a fashion blog called The Pear Shape and a community platform called Part and Parcel. Lauren became an entrepreneur at a young age by finding empowerment in the way her body looked and now continues to conquer the world as a founder within Facebook's new product experimentation team, which is how I met her. In this interview, we'll hear about how she found self-confidence and success by facing frequent failure and embracing encouragement along the way from all sorts of people. As always, stick around after the interview for more of my thoughts on what she talks about. So my name is Lauren Haber Jonas. I'm 30 years old. I'm a resident of San Francisco. I have a daughter who's 14 months old, 14 months old rather, and I am a new member of the new product experimentation team at Facebook. And you've started two companies in the past, correct? Both for plus-sized women. That's right. So I am plus-sized. I have been since I was 10 years old. It has been a shaping feature of my identity. Um, and who I am and how I comport myself in the world. And without trying, really, <laughs> I started two companies catered to this demographic, one when I was 18 and then one about four years ago. Oh, my goodness. I hope stories about how those came about come through as, as we talk a little yeah. bit more. What would you say is your public identity? <laughs> so the word that, that folks have used to describe me a lot is that I'm a force. I first took that as a really negative connotation, (laughs) that somehow I'm forceful or I'm pushy or something along those lines. But I've since started to wear it with pride. I think that I come across as somebody that is very focused and very driven Mm -hmm. and very hardworking. And I think that all has laddered up to that particular word, which folks um, consistently across three different jobs my family um, have used to describe me over the last decade. So what you're saying is you grew into something that other people noticed in you rather than you decided you wanted to be something. Totally. So for my career trajectory as a whole and also who I am as a whole, I was not I was not raised to be a force. I was not raised to have a, a, a career path in mind per se, I was raised to go to a good college and get there. And then I did that. And then like most kids, then what (laughs) was kind of the question. And so my career has happened quite organically. And I think a lot of my life experiences have also shaped my personality vis-a-vis that career Mm. and how I choose to sort of comport myself publicly has just sort of shaped over time. So it wasn't that I woke up one day and decided that I was going to be this forceful woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, though I always, I mean, I never aimed to be a pushover per se, but it's sort of, it's sort of been a progression over time. And I think a lot of my life experiences coupled with my career experiences have, have sort of made that come to be. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So how have you grown? Like what has, how has your identity shaped 
or what are some of those experiences that were particularly forming? So I'll tell you the story of the first company. So I went to the University of Pennsylvania, a really um, wealthy, driven, motivated, sweater vest wearing (laughs) kind of school. I did not grow up that way. I grew up in a middle class to lower middle class family, public school, really crappy public schools. Mm. I grew up on the town right across the border from Mexico in a town called San Isidro, just right across the border in California. So when I went to Penn, it was an entire culture shock for me in more Mm. ways than one. Everybody was really smart and everybody had a lot of money and everybody looked a specific way. And Mm. I was this plus size kid that didn't own closed-toed shoes because I lived where it was 70 degrees all the time. And so it was this complete culture shock. And so the way that the first company came to be was quite organic. I was going through the summer internship recruiting process through Wharton, which requires a suit. I'd never owned Mm. a suit before. I was also on full financial aid, so I didn't have a ton of money to go buy a suit. And so I scoured the greater Philadelphia area. I found nothing in my size. I was a women's size 24 at the time, so I was quite plus size and felt very excluded from the retail experience, but ended up um, in tears wandering into a Joseph A. Bank, which if you're familiar is a men's suiting store mm-hmm. and picked out a brown polyester suit off the clearance rack. It was a size 46 and I still own it for posterity. And that's wow. what I wore to my internship interviews. What came out of that and getting to the company is going through that interview process, wearing that garment, I was ridiculed by my peers, by my interviewers. It was just a pretty terrible experience. So I started a blog. (laughs) I went back to my dorm and I took my point and shoot camera, which was like all I owned at the time. And I took a photo of myself and I posted it on Tumblr. You remember Tumblr? (laughs) Um, That was cool at the time. And I started this Tumblr account and it quite literally started like a, where can I find a suit that fits? here's the size I think I am. Um, And long story short, that blog grew by mid 2009. It was 150,000 monthly uniques. Oh my goodness. By 2010, I created an LLC around it um, because I was making money. Bloggers were not a thing. Influencers were not a thing, but I had Gap reaching out saying, Hey, you have a Twitter (laughs) and you have a lot of followers (laughs) and you have this blog. Can we pay you five grand to wear an outfit? And it was just unlike anything I'd ever seen or experienced before anything. Really, the industry didn't exist in this way at the time. And so I started making some significant money. It put me through the back half of college. Mm -hmm. It still exists. The blog still exists. So it was a full-blown company and ended up being a a sort of shopping platform at the end of it more Mm -hmm. than anything else. But that experience shaped me in so many ways. It empowered me physically. So I, I all of a sudden found empowerment and value in mm-hmm. the way that my body looked. I learned how to run a business and I failed a lot. And that was hugely empowering at such a young age. And I learned how to sort of hold my own with my peers because while everybody else was vying for summer internships with Goldman Sachs, I was making lots of money in this company and people started to know it. And all of a sudden it was like, I'm Mm self-sufficient and it just felt good. And so that, that was sort of kind of really shaped two sides of me. It shaped me quite personally and then professionally. And I sort of took that along and leveraged that into sort of everything that came next. So two summer internships at Google and then 
a job at Microsoft and then Microsoft to one King's Lane and sort of from there to there and, and learn how to sort of leverage myself mm. um, from one thing to the next. So that was a long winded answer, but I hope that. No, that was helped. spectacular. And I'm curious, the last bit you said, you learning how to leverage yourself. What exactly does that mean? Knowing and valuing my uniqueness and valuing my experience and learning how to articulate what is unique about me and my experience. And I say that because that first summer, as I was interviewing for these internships, I ended up getting an internship at Google. And for that internship, you have to disclose any other jobs you have. And Mm -hmm. I had one because I built this thing, right? It wasn't an LLC at the time, but it was a thing. And so I had to disclose it. And through that process, I was very shy about it. And I didn't really know how to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I had a really great recruiter at the time who said, this is awesome. Like, this is great. You're an entrepreneur. Like, and I'd never heard these words before. Mm -hmm. And so I took that really to heart, that one sentence from that recruiter who was Mm -hmm. like, you're unique and this is cool. And this is interesting. And leverage that into, yes, I am cool. And this is unique and that's great. And, And started to think about all aspects of myself in that way. And, and to t- take everything and turn it into a positive. So that's how I've, and, and more than that, into a learning experience that I can mm-hmm. then articulate against. So that's how I leverage myself is even failures I take and I don't describe them as failures. I describe them as what I learned and the good that came out of it. That's how I leverage myself. That's what that means for me. I love hearing the shift in confidence in being able to recognize and value your own uniqueness. And that's definitely one thing that I'm, I'm trying to gather stories about how people do that, because I definitely have been tackling, trying to figure out what makes me unique, as well as how to, how to share that and how to feel confident about it. And I can imagine that many people, especially just starting the workforce, probably feel similarly. So thank you so much for sharing that. And then I'm curious about how you bring your whole self to work, or if you don't, and if you do, what that means to you. Yeah, so I definitely bring my whole self to work. I was that person in my first couple of jobs who tried to minimize anything outside of work. I had no boyfriend. I had Mm -hmm. no friends. I I mean, I tried to make that seem the case. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't bringing my whole self to work because people didn't know anything about me outside of what made me cool at work or what made me valuable at work. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's bringing your whole self to work. I think bringing your whole self to work is valuing and giving equal importance to all parts of your life and all parts of yourself. We spend so much time at work and it's such a critical and life-giving part of who we are, but so is motherhood. And so is marriage and so are friendships. And I don't think those things are less valuable just because they don't garner a paycheck. So over time, I got most comfortable with this when I started my own company, Mm -hmm. purely out of the second company, purely out of necessity. I was pregnant when I was fundraising and I hired people nine months pregnant. They knew that I was pregnant. They Mm -hmm. knew that I was going to go on maternity leave. And so out of necessity, I brought my whole self to work. And again, I... I tried to feel value. I tried to find value in it, right? Mm-hmm. And feel confident and that it was a uniqueness rather than a hindrance. So I bring my whole self to work. I'm not afraid to talk about my family, my child, my interests, what makes me different, what makes me unique outside of work context. But that's been a progression over time. That's not something that I like graduated college doing. 
Mm, I um, wish I had. What do you think that bringing yourself to work in this way has opened up? How has that affected yeah. your workplace and how you feel in it and how others feel towards you? I think it's made me more comfortable and confident. So I think it's added to to my assurance of myself mm-hmm. and probably that descriptor of being a force that people see in me. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there's a ton of value in being a parent and being a badass working person. I've really internalized that. And so I think that that's added to that. And I think most importantly, it's created camaraderie and closeness with the mm-hmm. people that I work with. Because when you share about yourself, it gives people license to do the same. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that's what creates bonds over time in the workplace, which I think are pretty critical. I'm actually curious. Vulnerability is a way to encourage closeness among people in general. But are women more inclined to let themselves be vulnerable? So I think that it depends on the, on the frankly, the personality or the Enneagram type, if you will, of the woman in question, right? Mm-hmm. I think so many wow. women try and emulate men. And so they try not to be vulnerable and try not to have this closeness and try not to, to you know, participate in some of the kind of stereotypically gendered or sexed, you know, perceptions of, of women. So I don't know. I think generally speaking, most people put on a mask at work and calibrate how much they share, what they share, even if they are being vulnerable, it's to a point. And so then it takes something out of forced necessity, bringing more of yourself to work to actually open up that environment. And then maybe domino effect once someone is vulnerable than more people are. Totally. Perfect time for a break. Lauren has these amazing stories about how she took a necessity and built a thriving community from it and how she's really started to embrace every part of herself. I also want to take a sec real quick to make sure that anyone joining Statement Mondays for the first time knows about my last interview question. I ask every guest, what are your heels? And what that's really asking is, what is a strength or a trait that you have, either internal or external, that gives you confidence and that makes you who you are? Okay, so that's at the very end. But before that, let's hear about Lauren's first board meeting and a quote from Steve Jobs that she just can't get out of her head. Can you pick out a specific memorable moment that you felt invincible at work and what empowered you? My very first board meeting for my second company. I'd never <laughs> led a board meeting. Yeah, I can pick it out because I can still feel what I felt like and the like, you know, chills down my spine. I'd never led a board meeting before. I'd never been in a law office before. I'd never raised so much money before. Our very first board meeting was in the giant boardroom of the very prestigious law office for the law firm that we had representing us. And four members of the investment team from the fund that we raised money from, all of whom had been doing this for 20 years and had track records that were incredible and funding some of the biggest companies in the world, including Facebook. And it was super intimidating. And everybody looked at me and I led, and by the way, board meetings are three hours long. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I led a three hour long conversation with slides, fielding questions. It felt like school. And at the end, the investor and the lead partner from the law firm came up to me and said, good job. (sighs) Both men, very stoic, but I felt like I had conquered the world. I felt like such a badass. Wow. And that confidence carried over into every board meeting thereafter. And there were many. 
And when you said in the beginning that everyone was looking at you, was that something that was exciting for you? So I was nervous about it at the beginning, for sure. I think I was sweating and fumbling and I was also pregnant and uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. I I was worried I was going to have to go to the bathroom during the meeting. And what if? And they didn't know I was pregnant yet. And all of the just junk, like the things, the real person things that you get worried about. And then about five questions in, as I was fielding questions and kicking butt, I started to sit taller in my chair and feel like I had it and I handled it. And even if they didn't think it was a great meeting, I felt like I was kicking butt. And then at the end for that validation, that was just a cherry. I felt like anything you throw at me, I know this business better than anybody. Yeah. So go for it. You do know it all. (laughs) You have all the answers. Yeah. Regardless of whether they like them or not, you have the answers. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. So uh, it's just self-confidence there. Totally. And it wasn't the case at the beginning. I mm-hmm. had to get a third of the way through the meeting for that to, for me to feel that. But, Definitely. Yeah. Get some momentum. I want to quickly backtrack just for a second on the topic of self-confidence. You talked about how the origins of your first company and that you posted on Tumblr and you started blogging. The motivation behind that, was that just to seek out how other people people in your position dealt with finding clothes or was it more just to shout out and be like, this is a problem I'm having, you know, rally behind me. Yeah. And I'm curious. No, no. it was quite tactical. I mean, I can, I can picture young you slowly gathering self-confidence as you're gathering followers and as, you know, Gap is reaching out to you. The self-confidence that you were developing there and the understanding that you were unique, as you then mentioned that a recruiter pointed out to you, how did that develop? Was it in part because you felt like you had an army behind you that was supporting you? So the starting of the business was purely out of desperation, panic and desperation. And it sort of turned into something out of luck, I guess, or the fact that there's this giant population that has faced similar things. And all of a sudden, somebody was giving voice to it. So mm-hmm. all of the above, in terms of how that confidence grew, I think it was just sort of small experiences kind of coming together over time. So mm-hmm. it wasn't follower count per se, but it was individual women that would comment or send me emails as email at the time yeah. would send me emails and would say, you know, I go to Ann Taylor and I take this suit and that suit and the other suit and I cut them in half and here's how I sew them back yeah. together and get them to fit wow. me. You know, you go girl. And I would just be like, yeah, I can do this. Like I can solve the problem. Somebody's helping me or, or somebody would say, thank you so much for posting the solution mm-hmm. or, or, and it would just, it was just sort of very slow, slow kind of wins over time mm-hmm. that made me feel that way. It was never the monetary stuff per se at the beginning, as I could turn down financial aid for sure. Like that was a confidence booster and it was self-generated, but it wasn't like Gap yeah. reached out, here's five grand. Oh my God, I'm such a beast. It was sort of a, a culmination, I think, of things over time. So I have a fun question that I threw in here. Do you have a life motto? And if so, what is it? (laughs) Yeah. So the thing that comes to mind is that everything happens for a reason. And Mm -hmm. that's so weird to say. It's not like how I live my life. It's more how I deal with life because Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily a person who I'm fairly impulsive. And so I'm not necessarily a person who has a five-year plan or a 10-year plan or plans ahead. I think that everything will be okay. 
And if things happen, they happen for a reason. And I think it's really fun to be able to look backwards and connect dots. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you cannot, there's a famous Steve Jobs quote, I think that like you can look back and connect the dots, but you can't look forward and draw a line. Right. I don't know. But that's just sort of like a firm believer in who I am that like everything will be okay. And everything happens for a reason. And I believe in myself enough to let that be my life motto. And I make the choices Mm -hmm. that feel best at the time with the information I have at the time. And then I I don't stress because I believe that it all happens as it's meant to. I also really, I feel very strongly about living my own life in a similar way where things come and it's either a hell yes and you jump at them or you kind of just wait and see what else comes along. I'm also less of a, you know, here's my five years, my 10 year plan. Yeah, I, I think it's the Stanford commencement speech, but somewhere that's like a famous Steve Jobs thing that he talks about dots connecting and it stuck with me somehow. I always think about how like right now, if I look all the way back to when I was 18, mm-hmm. it all connects. I'm still working on plus, like who would have known that <laughs> at 18, that would be where I think what I think about today. Yeah. And at 18, could I have known that? No, but it's kind of cool to go backwards and sort of connect everything. Well, you're doling out a lot of inspiration to me, at least that you can be Good. successful, even if you don't have a very solid, clear 10 year plan. <laughs> I still don't have a plan. Great. (laughs) Well, you're killing it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, awesome. Thank you. And then in one word or phrase, what are your heels? So I'll share. It's my articulateness Mm. or my ability to articulate. Well, like that is the thing that if there's anything that makes me feel most confident in myself, it's my ability to speak, my ability to articulate myself clearly and to sound intelligent. (laughs) It sounds so bizarre. But from fourth grade, this was 100% my parents, but from fourth grade, my my dad is an English language learner. Hebrew and Spanish were his two languages, mm. and then he learned English over time. And mm. he learned over time how valuable it was to be able to articulate oneself well. And so in fourth grade, you know, my parents offered me the opportunity or put me in or whatever, the a public speaking contest in my elementary school <laughs> in my grade. Yeah. And it was great. about... Um, why reading is important was the title. We wrote mm. an essay and then I spoke to it and Bank of America sponsored it. I'll never forget. And I, I won my class's little competition and then my grade and then my school and then the county and then the state. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, she can speak. Like she's not shy. I was yeah. never shy. And, and so I kept doing it and I did it every year and I did it all the way through college and, I think it's such an important life skill and I think it helps you show up in a way that represents yourself well. And that's not just at work. It's in life. It's important in everything. And it's a skill I'm so grateful I have. And I realize it's one that not everybody does, but that's my, that's like my armor. That's like the thing that makes me feel most comfortable and confident. That was Lauren Jonas. What I loved about her story of starting her companies was how she was operating entirely out of necessity. She found others with her same need for plus-sized business attire, like that one woman with tips on cutting up different suits to make one that fit. And by making space for those conversations, those smaller interactions grew and grew into a thriving community. She gained confidence as more people joined in, and it wasn't just confidence in her body. It was also confidence in her ability to lead a group of people 
and to build communities and to make money and to raise money. So many different aspects of life. Okay, I do also want to talk about how she wasn't raised by a force. I have to say that was one of my biggest takeaway phrases from this interview. I love that. So from what I can tell, most of us aren't raised with a given purpose, like to be a force. And that's the hard part about finding our way and dialing in on our strengths. Sometimes we don't know what our own strengths even are until other people point them out. And weaknesses too. Same deal. That outside perspective can be really valuable. It might come from our friends or the recruiter, like in Lauren's case. Or honestly, I learned about my weaknesses from a manager I didn't get along with, and my strengths from a manager I loved and who I felt understood my spirit. They both had very different, but very enlightening perspectives. Maybe enlightened is a little too far, but I'm definitely feeling like I know myself better because of them. Anyway, these kinds of people who are close to you can identify patterns and see you in a different light than you can, and that you may be too biased to see. Just something to think about, and maybe worth paying attention to. All right, that's all I have for today. And remember, be bold. Today is Statement Monday. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and even leave a review if you're feeling generous. I'm Natalie Munster, and my intern is Mallory Pilon. You can learn more about me and Statement Mondays at statementmondays.com or follow us on Instagram at Statement Mondays. I'd love to hear what you think of this episode and the podcast in general, and of course, how you've been bold lately. So please get in touch. I'll see you next Monday. Bye.